Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, and welcome to the MMNM podcast for the week of September 6, 2021. A majority of doctors say the pandemic forced their organization to make technology upgrades that normally would have taken years. While healthcare has typically moved at a slow pace when it comes to adopting new innovations, COVID prompted a digital transformation. But despite the technological leaps this year, most physicians still believe the industry lags behind in technology adoption. This week on the podcast, how the healthcare system is being rebooted. And here to talk about it is Joe Miles, Managing Director, Healthcare and Life Science Industries for Google Cloud. Joe, welcome to the MMNM Podcast. Great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Of course, back to the interview in a moment, just a couple of housekeeping items. MMNM's Convene Crossover, Taking Control of the Cookie Crisis, is a virtual event slated for Wednesday, September 22nd. I'll be moderating a panel that explores the expected impact of the retirement of third-party tracking cookies on brands in the pharma sector. You can register on the webcast page of our website, mmm-online.com. And coming up the following day, September 23rd, is MMNM's DEI Deciphered, an event where we're going to be convening a range of stakeholders in a unique roundtable format to explore how industry can affect progress and diversity, equity, and inclusion. You can register online for that one at dei-deciphered.com. And finally, join us live or in person the evening of October 7th. The choice is yours for the venerable MMM Awards ceremony taking place downtown at our traditional venue, Sabrani Wall Street. We've got an amazing evening in store, and you can register for that one online at mmm-awards.com. Okay, back to the interview with Joe. Recently, uh, Google Cloud did a, a, conducted a poll in association with, with the Harris poll of about 300 physicians. You conducted a, a baseline uh, poll just before the pandemic began in February 2020, and then you returned to follow up with doctors in June 2021. Can you talk about where you saw some of the, uh, the biggest leaps in the healthcare system from, from that poll over that time period? Yeah, I think probably the biggest leap that we saw, and I don't surprise to a lot of folks uh, across the industry, but uh, you know, the emergence of telehealth and the importance of telehealth as the facilities became, you know, had to be locked down and limited access, uh, everything that it entailed, uh, telehealth really, the adoption was remarkable. What happened in a matter of months, you could have really expected it almost a decade for that level of technology adoption across, but necessity being the mother of invention sometimes, you know, you really saw providers really reacting quickly. We had been working closely with Amwell for, for many months and had made a partnering investment with them over a year ago, we really even before the, the pandemic really got into the heat of it. Uh, and we saw that that happening and and, uh, and, and the, really the emergence of not just telehealth as an experience, but telehealth as an integrated part of, of a patient encounter, right? And how do we not only ha have the ability to have a virtual conversation between a patient and a physician, but does that patient, are they armed to have that, that conversation? Do they have the, that longitudinal view of that patient in front of them so that they can have that? Do they have any sensor data, for example, that uh, might give them better indication of what is the real-time health of that patient so that they can make better decisions. And so we saw that really evolving very, very quickly. So it wasn't simply the, the virtual interaction, although from a pandemic perspective, that was pretty important. It was the broader uh, you know, integration of that longitudinal view of the data around that. So those, those physicians could have a much better understanding and basically an equivalent understanding of that patient if, as if they were standing in front of them, in front of their EHR system. To what extent does cloud computing facilitate the whole telehealth process? 
Well, we're, we're certainly providing the platform um, by which uh, organizations can, can leverage that, you know, that technology from an interaction perspective, both for the provider of that telehealth, but also from the provider of the, of the healthcare, right? From the, 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 the clinics and so forth. And that's where we're seeing a lot of organizations, as you were mentioning, Mayo, Ascension, more recently, maybe HCA, looking at the cloud as a way of, on the one hand, trying to provide some uh, IT modernization and, and accelerating their IT landscape and platforms. Well, at the same time, how are they able to innovate uh, on these platforms? And that's really the, I think the big difference between maybe you know, a year to two, year to three, five years ago, that innovation now has become a real imperative for organizations. It's not only moving to the cloud from a cost reduction and reducing complexity perspective, but it's also a move to the cloud to allow for innovation and to accelerate innovation as they're able to leverage those technologies and then the ability to, to leverage them in their day-to-day -day operations becomes really critical. You saw in your poll that about 62% of doctors said the pandemic forced technology upgrades that normally would have taken years. Despite those leaps this year, you wrote that most physicians still believe the industry lags behind in technology adoption. Gaming and telecommunications and financial services, when, when compared to healthcare, doctors felt like healthcare was, was still behind in, in technology or digital adoption. Why do you think they feel this way? Well, probably because it's relatively true. I mean, I think the reality is that, that uh, the healthcare and life sciences uh, industries are they're regulated. They have lots of oversight from uh, regulations and, and compliance standards. So that, by and large, slows them in their ability to do that. They also have to make sure that the decisions that their folks are making, the physicians, HCPs are making, um, are sound ones and are based on good information because people's lives are quite literally at stake. Having said that, I think we all recognize that that you know, healthcare and uh, healthcare industry, maybe more specifically, has been challenged by its ability to maintain and to accelerate technology. There's, you know, whether it's integration, whether it's therapeutic levels, they've struggled with that. And and this the pandemic has highlighted the importance of that. But it, it doesn't happen overnight. So we're, we're seeing a real shift in that regard. But uh, it will take some time for sure. Sure. And, and some of the other findings with respect to why doctors are maybe a little bit dissatisfied with with this with the system overall. They said that some of their continuing pain points are EMR systems, which have had a negative impact on their ability to deliver quality care. But 92% said, and two thirds of doctors said burdensome reporting systems were their their biggest pain point. So definitely some some things to work on there. One of the other big findings from the poll was the near universal agreement among doctors that interoperability should be a top priority for hospitals and health systems where they practice. Can you talk about, you know, why that was such a remarkable finding? Historically, you know, interoperability was kind of rooted in compliance mandates and, you know, ONC and CMS type regulations. But I think the last, you know, the pandemic has done many things to us. And I think it's has helped form a recognition that uh, that data has become critical in our ability to understand what's going on with the patient to be able to make uh, quickly make a diagnosis and to be able to make decisions that improve patient outcomes uh, more generally. And I think physicians are recognizing that. They're recognizing that for many institutions, that's still a that's still an aspirational goal for them to, to have that unified longitudinal view of that patient. As you start to think about, as we mentioned earlier, about things like telehealth, we certainly want to be able to provide different modes of, of, of having you know, clinical interactions 
at the same time, we need to make sure that those physicians have the data and have that same view of that patient as they would if they were sitting in their in their uh, you know directly in in their office. So it's it's critical, and and I see that, and I think the the survey really reinforced the fact that physicians now are clearly seeing that the benefit of interoperability is not simply compliance. It is all about improving lives, improving diagnoses, and improving overall patient outcomes, which is which is critical. Sure. So a longitudinal view of the patient, which interoperability in, in a sense should allow for. I'm wondering how realistic that is, given the fact that there's two or three medical records companies in this country that don't really work with one another and they kind of want it that way. So how, how realistic is this goal of interoperability in medicine? It's, it is very realistic. And we're, you know, from a Google Cloud perspective, we're enabling that for organizations to bring that data together. And the ingestion of the EMR, not trivial, um, but there are tools and automation in place that allow you to ingest different vendors, different versions, you know, different components of that, and be able to bring that together, but also adjoining it with things like the sensor data, right? And how do you make, you know, bring fire, fireizing that data using that fire standard? How do we bring that data together and that, that's really the future where it's going as we see the continued proliferation of sensors and devices uh, and the ability to have that real-time view, whether that's an implantable device, you know, from someone like a Medtronic or an external device, maybe a renal care scenario from, you know, uh, kidney dialysis of sorts, whatever that might be, ingesting all of that data and continuing to give that longitudinal view is really, really critical and will continue to evolve from that perspective. Sure, sure. Speaking of interoperability in the healthcare system, why should the ease of doctors being able to share data between practices or, or healthcare centers matter to pharmaceutical and med tech manufacturers? Well, it's a great, it's a great question. And it's one that is, um, continues to evolve and morph. But I think in, in a nutshell, maybe netting it out that what interoperability does is it gives us a really clear view of an outcome, right, or of, of a patient outcome. And, and it does it in the context of that patient experience of all the encounters that patient may have, of all the maybe the multiple comorbidities, multiple therapies that they might be under undertaking, and gives you a full context of that individual patient. That information, of course, remembering that privacy, HIPAA compliance, you know, all of the safety and so and security of that data is still all is in play. Gaining access to those those that type of data becomes really really critical for all nodes. Of the, of the value chain. And that could be from a payer's perspective as we think about the programs they're developing to improve outcomes, to improve the health of their, of their members and of their patients, as well as for the manufacturers. And, you know, that becomes really critical as, as you think about, you know, from a manufacturing perspective, as we continue to, to evolve from the blockbuster drug scenario of, of the 90s and the 2000, early 2000s, now into much more of the personalized therapies that are emerging for some of the CAR-T drugs like a Chimera or a Keytruda from an oncology perspective, these are really unique drugs. It gives us an opportunity now to think about different patient populations and the impact that those therapies may have on those individual patient populations. And those could be genomically defined patient populations. Those could be chronic disease patients. It could be a variety of different cohorts from the, from the patient side of that. But how is it that then, then those outcomes now become more clear as we think about patients that have comorbidities or that have a complex um, healthcare landscape for, the, for their individual view and how they, that interoperable view of that patient across all of those encounters now becomes much clearer for anyone participating in, in that therapy of what might also be impacting that outcome. And again, that could be a multitude of, of aspects. And more broadly, as we start to think about that, 
if we are able to have a much better handle on the outcome, what does that then in turn mean for different types of addition, you know, kind of tangential or uh, other processes related to that? Things like reimbursement, for example. If I'm a, as a manufacturer, if I can guarantee a certain percentage of the outcome, a positive health outcome for my patient population, I may be willing to put revenue at risk and price my drug in accordance or my device in accordance with that perspective. And that could be coming directly from the clinical trial where they've demonstrated that, for example, a drug may have an 80% remission rate. And so they're willing to stay in behind that because they're much more confident based on these profiles. So we're just starting to see that, you know, really start to expand as the nature of therapies are expanding and as the personalized element becomes more and more real as those treatments increase in in, in, in you know, and not just popularity, but the development and more of those are coming to market. It's really, really changing the, the landscape of the, the marketplace in, in accordance with that. So it's really a basic element that now becomes much more available across the ecosystem. So. Mm-hmm. so an interoperable view of a patient, as you put it, is really essential uh, to realizing the vision of outcomes-based pricing of pharmaceuticals. It's, it's one element of it. And I think what we're starting to see and what providers are starting to see is that that's, you know, having that clear view really provides a tremendous visibility across the, the value chain. Again, privacy and, and security and HIPAA compliance all in, you know, remaining. But that type of information really changes the nature of, uh, of a therapy and of, uh, of treating an individual patient and hopefully the, the positive outcome that it will, it will then produce. Okay, sure. Speaking of Google Cloud Healthcare API and its healthcare data engine, the news last month that Google Health was uh, dismantling and that health projects and teams would be reorganized to other areas of the company was a big deal given Google Health's mission was to transform health through technology. And while there are organizational changes afoot at Google Health, one of the cloud projects there obviously was the Google Healthcare API and its, its healthcare engine, which just launched last month. And uh, that's the one where you have partnerships with organizations like Amwell and uh, HCA, Highmark Health and, and the Mayo Clinic. Can you, can you talk about how Google Health's news of, of the re- reorganization there may or may not affect you know what's going on with those kinds of projects at, at Google Cloud? Yeah, I, I think the, uh, you know, there was a lot of fanfare from that that. that message that came out, but effectively um, Alphabet, I think the broader Alphabet remains committed to healthcare and life sciences and specifically Google Cloud remains committed to healthcare and life sciences. You've seen and probably witnessed a number of announcements or partnerships with organizations like HCA, like Ascension Hospital, like Johnson Johnson, like Mayo Clinic. And we continue to, to move in that direction as we work with those organizations to, to improve healthcare, to improve outcomes to really drive innovation for the industry. At the same time, as you mentioned, we're continuing to launch out new products. Our healthcare data engine was literally just launched last month. It's built on a on the healthcare API and foundational products that have been out there for a while. And we'll continue to innovate and deliver that. And, and actually Thomas Kirian, our CEO, spoke at the HIMSS conference just this past a few weeks and in the past month in August, really highlighting all of that and, and his commitment and our commitment to the industry. And I, th- I think what we effectively did it with that announcement, we were basically just restructuring from that side. So as from a from a organizational perspective, products remain the same, roadmap remains the same, really nothing has changed. Karen DeSalvo continues to play uh, kind of an umbrella relationship for under our policy and 
Um, she's our chief health officer within Google Health, and she remains. Dr. Greg Corrado is, continues to be our research uh, distinguished scientist around our AI. And Paul Moret is our general manager for products through the uh, Care Studio solution of Google Health, and that remains. And so from our perspective, it really was not that, yeah, simple restructuring and effectively trying to bring the research closer to the product teams was another element of that as well. So. Right. Apparently that closer linkage uh, was determined, uh, was beneficial because more progress could be made when, when the projects themselves are closer to the product teams. You know, getting back to some of the shifts that were made during the pandemic, we saw that, you know, some of the technologies that, that really kind of jumped to the fore, like telehealth, was existing technology, really, that kind of just the healthcare system is making better use of. How kind of close are we to these kinds of you know, greater use of these existing technologies and, and maybe some new ones, you know, like the like Google Cloud technology becoming permanent and not just, you know, uh, you know beyond the crisis conditions that, that you know, sp spurred their use? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a really interesting point. I mean, the new norm will, will be many things to many people in terms of the, the changes that will say and changes that maybe may not be around us in the same way. I think we continue to see that our focus really is on data and data remains a, a critical element across that. You know, as we were describing earlier, that longitudinal view is a critical element of the data, but also as you look at other aspects of that data. So how are you leveraging your AI and your uh, machine learning and your artificial intelligence for things like images, right? And for whether it's a, a DICOM kind of clinical image at that level, or maybe from a pathology level where you're looking more at slides and cellular views and how you're able to understand that how are you able to use artificial intelligence machine learning algorithms for that and that really becomes a really interesting play as, as you think about different disease states uh, we've done some great work within the area of diabetic retinopathy not juvenile diabetes diabetic retinopathy where we're able to look at an image and be able to determine the state of progression of that disease for uh, for blindness it's actually a solution that's been deployed in in Thailand and India where they have limited access to uh, optometrists and then you know so they're able to automate that that and that could be where they do see a, a condition they can actually get a, a physician to look at that and and elevate that so there's different ways in which we can leverage you know that artificial intelligence to bring a lot of insight to that to automate that process but also automate it with oversight it doesn't mean that we replace the physician it just means that we can accelerate and identify and you know exception handle where we see a case for uh, for concern route that to the appropriate individuals, as well as in emerging markets where they may not have access to, to resources in the same way that we might in North America or in European uh, markets, uh, for that matter. And then we saw you know, formal dismantling of, of, of Watson Health, to speak about another company not too long ago, was a setback for the efforts to integrate AI more into the clinic and into clinical practice. So thank you for addressing, you know, the, that vision. How, how close do you think we are to uh, seeing that ha happen to a greater extent, you know, where AI um, is, uh, is, is used by clinicians to facilitate their practice of medicine? I mean, we're seeing it really across the industry in a variety of levels. And certainly from the research side, as you think about all the, the genomic and the compute that's going on at the genomic molecular level and the work that's being done really across the industry on that front, um, is, is fascinating. Again, as you get more into the therapeutic side of 
things, whether that's clinical data that's also leveraging some of that genomic data or whether, as I'm mentioning, visual data, visual AI, where you're looking at uh, maybe dermatological conditions, you know, where maybe it's, it's retinal issues, where you're able to leverage those images and, and teach that model using using that model to, to teach and, and use the machine learnings to learn. That's complicated. There's a lot of annotations that have to be done. There's a lot of repetition. Um, it's not simply just straightforward, but we're, we're learning more every day. We're seeing working directly with the providers and the researchers and the manufacturers and the developers of those products. I think we can accelerate that and we have seen that. We continue to work very, very closely with industry, uh, you know, really, really across the board. And I think the, the iterations are, are really, they're fascinating and it's happening real time and it's leveraging, you know, some, a, lot of, a lot of which I can't really go into specifically, but um, it's, it's exciting to see the application of those machine learning models, how they are learning, how they can quickly, you know, begin to very uniquely uh, at a therapeutic specific level is typically where you'll see most of the impact. It can't be done on broad scale, it has to be very, very precise in that. But once we can get to that level, the models are really uh, accelerating and it's exciting to see the innovations that are starting to emerge. Sure. And let me just rephrase that question slightly. You know, was the the fact that the hype of the utility of AI for medicine in terms of, say, for example, making a a recommendation to an oncologist of what cancer drug to use for a patient and how the hype kind of got, got ahead of the reality there, how much of that has been a friction for you guys in establishing AI's footprint in medicine? We just try to work very sincerely and very directly, not try to overhype it. You know, we're working literally directly shoulder to shoulder with clinicians and with research folks. So it's a pretty much upfront and personal type of view. And if we're not able to deliver, it's pretty apparent pretty quickly. We have to prove our, our merit every day. And, you know, I think I think we, we know there's a lot of complexity here and we're not naive enough to think that there's a, there's a, you know, a silver bullet, a panacea that can make things just magically appear. There's a lot of work that has to be done we're encouraged and we're excited about the efforts and the investments we continue to make in the AI and the ML. And we're going to continue to do that from a strategic perspective. I think the market is expecting us to continue to do that. And we're committed to the long run here of developing, leveraging technology to really develop some tremendous innovations to improve people's lives. Okay, sure. Well, worldwide spending on cloud computing services is expected to reach $107 billion in 2022, according to a Gartner uh, survey. So it's uh, powering a lot of the innovation in the healthcare system as well. And thanks for talking with us about it, Joe. Thanks for having us, Mark. Really enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to talking to you soon. Of course. Great. Well, that's it for this week's show. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMM Podcast is produced by Deborah Stoll, Gordon Failer, and Bradley Weems. We're out every week. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.